This episode of Coach to Coach is brought to you by my coach training program for academics and higher education professionals. In each training course, we meet weekly to explore how we can hold space for clients, listen for the things that they care about most, and help them to achieve their goals through focused questioning, activities, and tools. If you think that becoming a coach might be a fit for your professional development goals, you can learn more about the coach training program or sign up for a 30-minute Q&A session with me to ask all of your questions at higheredcoaches.com. Cohorts begin in January, April, and June, and I'd love to have you join us. Welcome to Coach to Coach, a podcast dedicated to showcasing the power of coaching. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Linder, and I offer coaching to academics and higher education professionals to bring more ease to their lives and work. This season, I'm excited to share conversations with some of the participants in my coach training program. I get questions all the time about how people know it's the right time to become a coach, what the various career pathways are that lead to coaching, and what people decide to do with their coaching skills after earning a credential. This season, we're tackling all of these topics and more. A huge thanks to each coach in training who offered to come on the show and share about their experiences with learning this new skill set. In this episode, you'll hear from Julie Larson, a former higher education professional turned corporate program manager. She specializes in curriculum development, leadership development, and guiding new managers through team development. She brings a lens of equity and inclusion to her work and is eager to utilize coaching as a method for helping managers develop their own inclusion strategy. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for joining me on this season of Coach to Coach. Yeah, excited to be here. I I am so curious about your story, Julie. Let's start with just your introduction to coaching as a field, and then we'll talk a little bit about kind of your professional pathway. Yeah. I mean, I can go way back and say like I've had introductions to quote unquote life coaches, right. Through like commercials or, or those, uh, you know, kind of, uh, make your life improvement infomercial situations. Right. (laughs) And so it was, I mean, it was definitely on the brain, but I'd never actually thought of it, um, as something that was integrating into a professional space or integrating into, um, work that we already do, which was really interesting to me about now, right. About learning about the program now. Um, and the introduction, you know, I had another friend in the coach program who was familiar with it and I was a little skeptical because I generally think of it as a very, um, you know, 25 words to change your life type situation, you know, like I just, um, didn't feel like that was what I wanted to spend my energy doing right as a, as a, as a coach person. Um, I think what I was excited about and what was interesting about this experience to me was that it it was different from that, right? Like this was the first sort of introduction I had to, you can sort of choose the coach you want to be, which I think is a really, um, powerful piece that not everyone might be clear about, right? Like there's coaches for lots of different um, things or areas of life um, or subjects. Um, and I had known, I had known of you through Twitter um, and kind of like academic spaces. And so it was neat to know that this was a person who was like sort of a real person. Um, now you're definitely a real person. I was going to say, like, maybe I'm still sort of a, like, what does that mean exactly? But okay, good. I'm fully real. That's good. <laughs> 
you know, I was like, oh, that person has like experience and has done things. And like, um, I know, you know, of some things that they have done. And so I, I think that helped because it helped normalize this a bit and kind of take away some of the mystic mystification made up word, right. Of, uh, of what was happening with coaching. Yeah. Well, and I think I appreciate, I think you have like this very healthy level of like skepticism about coaching that a lot of people do. I mean, if you look at like how it's portrayed in the media and I always go back to like the Gilmore girls life coach, you know, representation, which is just not great. I mean, it's, it's like very, um, like you're describing, you know, like 25 steps to a better life or something. I mean, it's, it's not always uh, clear what exactly coaches do. And it's not always portrayed in a way that I think is taken seriously as yeah. you know, a profession, as a field. So it's a constant like educational project to help people understand what is coaching and how is it different from these other kinds of things that we do in a higher ed environment or in another kind of environment that are more like mentoring, advising, you know, therapy, you know, all these different kinds of things. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. that level of skepticism. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> so I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit, Julie, about your kind of professional pathway, because you have been in higher education. So I want to hear a little bit about that. And recently, I think relatively recently, you've shifted more into an industry role. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of where you started, where you're now, and a little bit about that pathway. Yeah, I um, was a first generation college student, and I think that shaped my experience, both as a student and a professional, which probably feels obvious to state, but I think like a lot of first gen folks would tell you, it doesn't feel obvious as you're like living that experience, you know? Um, and so I worked all through college and I worked in the admissions office and um, my introduction to higher ed as a, as a career came from that space. And my advisor, um, I was really struggling junior year, like, oh, I have to make a career decision. I have no idea. Um, and he said to me, like, you know, you could do this as a career. And I was like, do what? you know, and he was like, what, what is going on around you <laughs> all around, right? Like you could be, um, and so I, I pursued it because I, and I think I didn't know what, but I knew college had had a large impact on me. And I went to a small liberal arts school. Um, it was right for me. So that was great. Um, and I went into graduate school right after undergrad thinking that I was going to work in admissions and really spend time like connecting folks. Um, that changed drastically as I explored lots of fields. Um, I, you know, make up a percentage of people end up becoming a hall director leaving graduate school because that's where the majority of the jobs are. And that was my, that was my path too. Um, and I really loved building teams and building relationships with RAs. That was awesome. And getting into program and getting into program development and things like that. Um, and I love that you could kind of work anywhere. I did not have a lot of ties to my hometown. And so the fact that there were colleges all over meant that I explored a lot of places. So I started in California, I went to North Carolina, I went to Texas. Um, between Carolina and Texas, I transitioned from residence life to advising. And so spent the rest of my time from about 2009 to 2018, when I left being an advisor of, of sorts, um, which was great. And I think, um, I'm sure as we'll get into and as, you know, other conversations we've had in class, like it definitely comes up for me in coaching. And I think is a, is a huge learning edge for me in coaching because advising is so much of the perspective uh, sharing as well. And as an advisor in that role um, and really enjoyed that experience a lot. I love undecided students, right? Like that exploration piece is, is really fun for me. 
Um, my last few years was actually spent in a first year programs office, and I focused on curriculum development for our um, University 101 course. And so did the curriculum design for what the students would experience who are first year students, and then also the curriculum design for training the students, because um, our classes were all taught by upper class students. So um, it was a really unique program. So kind of did the full circle curriculum development for that, which was great. Um, I left higher ed because I think it's a broken system <laughs> and very much so for professionals. Um, I I sort of reached a point where it was like a PhD or, or plateau and I had no interest in a PhD because I think it is unfair that that's required to move forward. Um, and it just didn't fit my life, you know, like it, it just wasn't gonna be what made sense for me. Um, and there wasn't a way to move up and there wasn't a way to progress um, in a way that felt like meaningful or even logical. And so I started looking around um, and I had really enjoyed, I was at a large, I was at University of Washington, so I was at a large institution. And so I started looking at larger corporations um, in the Seattle area and um, fell into my role at Amazon. I didn't choose, like it wasn't like my top choice or anything like that. Um, I've enjoyed it and I've learned a ton, but um, found pretty quickly that program management roles aligned very well with the skills that we have from higher ed. And so explored that a lot and got into a curriculum and training role. So that was my first role with them. Um, and now I'm doing uh, manager capability or leadership development for managers um, and some DEI work um, around manager training. Okay, there's so much to dig into, Julie. So yeah. I'm just gonna like peel apart this onion so that Do we it. can we can all kind of hear more. So I think that I I read this thing, of course, on the internet, social media somewhere, and it was this wonderful quote though that was saying, you know, sometimes we have these transitions and they don't have to be drama. They can just be transitions, they can just be evolution. And what I just heard you describe was like I had an evolution. Like I was just like, I hit my ceiling, this was no longer kind of what I needed, and I moved on. But I would imagine that there are a lot of people listening to this that have had this question about higher ed, where they're like, should I stay? Should I go? What are the options? You know, I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit more about that time and about kind of making that decision and what really went into that, because it's a pretty big deal to shift industries. I think like there's higher ed is very different than a lot of other places. There's transferable skills for sure. But I do think that we're kind of odd in a lot of ways, like just with how higher ed works. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that process of making that decision. Yeah, I think um, a key piece of this for me is, uh, well, two key pieces. One, this is, I was about 36, 37 when this is happening, which is relevant for me because I was definitely feeling adult, like, you know, in my space. And um, I had met my partner who has children. And so it was, it was kind of in my mind, a space of what does long-term life look like, right? Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, it was great because you there's colleges everywhere and you can move around and it, I didn't need that permanence. And I was kind of craving that permanence, which meant options felt more limited to just move around to have progression. And so that was a huge piece of it. I think the other piece of it for me was um, a large part of my friend group comes from my roller derby community because I play roller derby. And when you try to explain higher ed to people who don't understand higher ed, you feel very foolish. I'm know? just laughing immediately. It's so true. I mean, I remember having these conversations with my family about tenure and they were like, I'm sorry, what? Like, yes. what? I don't understand. I mean, it's like we have, again, these odd things that like are normalized to us, but to other people, they're just like, 
they don't, they don't get it. And, and it's oh. for good reason. I mean, it's weird stuff. Yeah. It's so, yes, it's so perplexing. And I, and I think to, um, to explain to folks who, uh, did not have resources to pursue higher education that I was just going to go after another degree. And then to also explain to folks who had experienced higher education and talk with them and they'd be like, that's great. So if you do a PhD, like what happens? And I found myself often being like, probably not much, you know, like, <laughs> like oh. it doesn't guarantee anything, you know, yeah, like your frankness, Julie is so refreshing. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. Especially in this climate. I mean, back in the time period you're talking about, it's just not that long ago. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are having this decision-making right now of like, you know, if the industry is going to go into a period of challenge, do I go back and get another degree? Do I try to, you know, pivot in another direction. Like these are questions a lot of people are asking right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, there is a benefit to scholarship and don't get me wrong. Like I, I don't, I don't want to like not give credit to folks who, who spend time doing that because it's important work and scholarship and data is what drives a lot of the work in higher education. But I think for me, particularly working with first year students and working with, you know, um, undocumented students working with students of color as Black Lives Matter started to come up, you know, like I was in higher ed as we we're talking about Ferguson, as we're going through riots, as, as Trump was elected, like all of these pivotal moments. And I just kind of found myself thinking like, I don't need scholarship to know that this is broken. Like, I don't need scholarship to know that people are being treated unfairly or not getting opportunities that they deserve, um, or should have equal access to, right? Like it felt just like a perpetuating, sort of system to play into that. Um, and I, and that's how I knew, right? Like that's how I knew I was done. And I, and I remember having a conversation with my supervisor at the time and she was so wonderful. And she was such a good guide. Cause she was like, you will do work in other places. And I still feel like my work is here. Cause I was asking her like, why, what, why are you staying? Cause we were very similar, I think, in our approaches and, and kind of what we wanted out of life. And um, she was like, because I, I can still find me meaning and purpose in the work here. And she's like, and you can't, and that's okay. So like, where, where do you want to find that? And where do you want to do that? Um, and let me not, I don't want to, it is not like my current job either. <laughs> like, let's be clear, <laughs> but it's different, right? Like, but it's been, a, it's been interesting to see it from a different perspective and to find ways to influence change or to think about like, what can I do in a corporate space that can affect, you know, students graduating and who are looking for jobs and how can you um, influence colleagues who are working with recent college graduates and things like that. And so um, I do think right now, a lot of our, my work is focused around um, hiring and recruiting practices and onboarding folks of color. And, and that to me does help students still, right? And I think I fight sometimes to hang on to that, but I think that there are ways that you can kind of change the system from within, even if it feels slower or different on a corporate side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned kind of earlier some of the translatable pieces, especially the DEI work and some of these other things that you're just describing now. So help us situate where coaching fits into all of this, because, you know, you were saying you have done this transition, you've come into industry, you're figuring out kind of the program management pieces and some of these other things. And then you've decided to pursue coaching. So what led to that decision? Yeah, 
I think um, there was definitely the influence of, you know, pandemic times and kind of needing something new and invigorating. Um, I also do miss a culture of learning. And I will say um, it doesn't exist in the same way, right? Like, sure, there's professional development and like, you know, I can get approved to take a webinar or something, but this like thirst for learning that you would find in an education setting isn't there. And so um, I wanted to fill that need for myself. I think the other piece for me is that as I navigate a corporate space and figuring out what influences folks, right? And we are a very data-driven company and we really push ownership. And that for me is connected to coaching in a way of how can I get a manager, right? I'm in a place where I work with a lot of higher level um, individuals or higher level roles. And so coaching to me felt so perfect in the sense of they don't want to be told what to do, right? Like they want to have that freedom and they are expected to have the ability to make those decisions. And so coaching fits that so well for me in the space of, we're just going to talk through it, right? Like, you know, the answer, the answer is within you you know, what are some of your, your, your barriers? Um, and, and that seems to fit really well. So I'm excited to like continue exploring that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if there are particular skills in your background, Julie, that through this experience of coming through the coach training, you're realizing, yeah, the skill set works pretty well with coaching, you know, and maybe you knew that before or not, are there certain things that feel very aligned for you when you think about what you're either bringing from higher ed or what you're building in terms of a skill set and industry that merges really well with the coaching skill set? It's a great question. The first thing that comes to mind, which is going to sound silly because I don't think I do it well, but um, <laughs> is a little bit of a notion of like sitting with discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. So I've done um, a lot of facilitation and I think with advising students to, you don't always know what's going to come out of the mouth of the person across from you, right? And that piece is not, uh, that doesn't shake me or rattle me, right? Um, in ways that it might, if that's newer for folks, I think, right? Um and so that definitely has helped as I'm trying to just be patient and listen to clients as I've started so far. Um, yeah, I'll end there. Mm -hmm. This is interesting because some of the other people I've talked to for this season have said, that's the thing that's hard for them is that it's like spontaneous. And they're like, I don't, I, I want to have a plan. Like I want to know. But it's, it's so interesting because I'm also thinking about kind of this balance between planning and, and spontaneity or kind of moving with energy or whatever. Part of what you're describing in your career is like, I had this evolution. I realized I needed something different. I've made changes. And I feel like as much as I like to have a plan, that's something I pay a lot of attention to is like that feeling of I'm ready to move on or I'm ready for something new or I'm ready to grow in a different way. And I feel like that's also something we bring to coaching, that there's like an instinct or some kind of like form of listening that's ap applicable to our clients as well. I don't know if you find that also. Yeah, I, I do, because I think um, you can hear, you know, and I, I have not had a ton of sessions, as you know, right? And so a lot of my work has also been with um, fellow students and you can hear it, right? Like you can... Uh, the, you can feel it, right? When, when I think you're hitting the right spot and you're hitting the right area, you know? Um, and 
and that I, I do think is a very intuitive, I'm a high empath too. Like I always score off the charts and empathy and, and whatever assessment you want to give me. And I think that plays into it as well. Right. And so this notion of just like really, really being in it with a person, um, almost to a detriment, because I think that's where I've hit some of my struggles of like not wanting to over empathize. Right. And like over like be with that person. Um, cause you have to create a bit of a boundary or space so that you can continue to guide and not just like sit with them. Right. Cause that would, I think, stop the coaching moment, if you will. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my next question. Cause as soon as you said that, I was like, I could imagine that creates challenges <laughs> coaching. And even just from the perspective of like self-care as a coach that you're not, you know, um, putting too much of yourself into that environment and, and the boundary is important. Are there other things with coaching as you've kind of been learning these skills that you're finding to be, um, especially challenging or that you're kind of working on, um, within your own practice? I am never afraid of, of like getting to the point. (laughs) And so (laughs) I think I am really trying to work on let the, letting the client get to that point. Right. And not, and going deep, but not asking like the super deep question. Um, if it's going to be too much of a curveball for a client. Right. Um, because I think with that empathy piece, sometimes I can, in my mind, make an assumed connection and am learning how to not immediately jump to that connection um, and state it and rather get creative and see like, is there a series of powerful questions I can ask, right? That's not naming my assumption, but it's sort of like dancing around the assumption, right? To like, to test it without throwing it out there to throw the client off too much. Um, because it's hard because I would much rather sit down and be like, it sounds like you have some issues with trusting people in authority. So let's dig into that, you know? (laughs) Um, yeah. I love your directness, Julie. It's one of my favorite (laughs) things about you. Thank you. So I'm curious on the other side, as you're kind of building out these skills and becoming more confident in particular areas and maybe in areas that overlap with skill sets that you already have, or, you know, that you feel like are strength areas, are there certain things either within the coach training program or just things you've been doing on the side that are helping you to build your confidence as a coach? I think practicing the questions, what I, what I've come to love about coaching is that it, it really can fit in lots of different conversations and lots of situations, right? So being able to practice questions or practice techniques in everyday life does exist, right? It's not, uh, you know, I grew up swimming, like you need a pool to practice swimming, you know, and you don't need a certain situation to practice a coaching technique or a coaching question or things like that, right? So um, I've practiced with the kids, you know, (laughs) I've practiced with my partner, I practice at work, like in things that make sense. And so that just like continuing to lean in and, and seeing how things land with folks, even if they're not in a, in a coaching situation, I think, um, so you can still practice. Like if I ask a question this way, like, what is the response I get? You know, um, does it allow that person to open up or is it, um, not really opening a door in the way I think it would, um, it's been extremely useful. You know, I have a, a, a sister team that I work with and it's been a really frustrating experience and practicing coaching questions has been really useful in getting, um, her to open up a bit 
because I under it's it was it's also clear that there's frustrations that she's not talking about right that's kind of creating this other situation and so coaching questions have allowed me to like understand her situation a bit more so that we can kind of pivot um which has been super helpful right so I I think that practice particularly around questioning has been super helpful Mm -hmm. So I know I'm curious, I don't know if our listeners are as curious as I am, but you know, this is a coach training program that is focused on higher ed, focused on higher ed professionals, and you are definitely pivoting it toward a different realm. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that, how you're seeing the elements of the program being translatable into your current experience. Because one of the ideas I had was definitely that there could be people who are coming out of higher ed who wanna work with people who are not in higher ed, but they're just kind of coming from this background. But you've really allowed me to test that a little bit with this program because the majority of people who come through are currently working in higher ed and you're one of the couple people who are not. So what are you seeing in that translation in terms of the applicability of some of the things that we talk about to an environment outside of higher education? I mean, I I think it's all applicable, truly. And I'm not just, you know, and 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 so whether that is coaching as a as a uh you know, thing itself or your program design, right? Like it is very easy to make that jump for me. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I, I it's funny cause I've not, I've don't think I've encountered anything within this program that has felt like this is not applicable in some way. Right. Um, it all, uh, sure. You know, like we might not have group sessions in the same way, or, you know, like I probably will never use the questions about research that are in our, our book, you know, but that feels like a very small thing to me um, because there's lots of other options in there. Right. And I can see how I can build a question that would relate to perhaps a project plan from the one that's in there. So I think it's, it's, designed very well to kind of do some plug and play if you need to. So I haven't ever really felt, um, I think with the exception of, it does feel like those folks who are still in higher ed might have more opportunities to kind of do some coaching in their work, right? It does feel like a lot of my cohort mates who are in that space have coaching kind of built into their job roles. Um, And I think it's a little less clear cut for me, right? Like, so I'm finding my, my way to say, how can I how can I show that this would be relevant, right? Like how can I fit it in in different places? Um, so that might be a bit harder, but I don't, I think it doesn't take away from the content at all for me. Mm-hmm. So. so you've talked a little bit about Julie and you're kind of leading back into this realm of, you know, you have this day job and you're wanting to build these skills into the day-to-day work. And you mentioned a couple of ways earlier that you're doing that by kind of working with teams, working with leaders. Are there other things that you have in your mind about how you can integrate coaching more into this work? Or I know some people in our program are having some kind of side business things they're trying to do. Can you talk a little bit about kind of your plans with how you want to use some of these skills? Yeah, I am not necessarily in my side business phase yet, right? And I that has been a big learning and a big uh, be comfortable with that decision space for me in the last few weeks, right? I am really excited to test the waters um, in two areas, one being onboarding. So we are looking at our onboarding and um, uh, really kind of revamping that support program um, or or developing a support program, right? And I think there is definitely space um, with for coaching within this development and, and, and having conversations with hiring managers, right? So for us, it's a hiring manager who would own that onboarding space and for some of them, they may, 
have never onboarded someone before, right? So as you're trying to get to the meaning and like what we need and like, what does your team need? Coaching feels very applicable in that space. Um, on the flip side, I think for the person who is new to the company, it also feels very relevant in that space, right? Um, and that is interesting to me because it's a short-term experience, right? So that would definitely not be kind of coaching in its long-term form. Um, so I'm excited to kind of play with it in a hybrid model, if you will. The other place I really see a need for it, particularly given with where my work is headed in 2021, is around uh, folks in manager roles working around diversity and inclusion. And so that I think really being maybe a little bit of a longer commitment, but really kind of coaching them around their their areas of learning. Like, what do they need? Um, what are their barriers, right? What um, what are their concerns? What goals would they like to set for orgs around that, right? So we have very large overarching goals. And then within, you know, teams and orgs, there has to be subsets. And so coaching feels very relevant to me um, for that, that as well, particularly with folks who are new. I think what comes to what I, what my theme is, as I'm thinking out loud right now, is how are folks who are new to these spaces, how can coaching help them kind of dig in and understand what they already know um, and and maybe make them a little more comfortable naming what they don't know as they take their first kind of steps or, or process pieces in this. Hmm, that sounds fascinating. Okay, I'm so excited to see where this goes in terms of how you're gonna use it. I'm wondering, Julie, if you can also talk about whether or how coaching is impacting your sense of your own identity, your own professional identity, and kind of how this is shaping how you see yourself by learning these skills and how you're implementing them in all these various ways. That's a really good question. You know, I think, which is interesting, uh, um, as I <laughs> think about this, I, I think I've been almost a little resistant, right, to uh, kind of coach myself within within this space. Um, and I don't know if I'm getting, understanding your question kind of in the way it was intended or if it's just how it's hitting me, right? But I, I do think that there is um, some self-reflection that I've not done around kind of like work and coaching yet. Um, that probably means it needs to be done, you know? <laughs> um, I have definitely, um, used some of our techniques and kind of use some self-coaching around just kind of personal goals, right? And I think really in figuring out like how do I how do we continue to show up in in the world that we live in right now? And um, coaching has been able to ground in a way that has been really useful, um, but not in a space of work or professionally, which is curious to me. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, always more layers to dig into. Yeah. That's interesting. Julie, is there anything else that you want to share about your coaching journey thus far or about your experience developing these skills over this last six months or so? I think what I would offer is that it's a low risk situation. Um, yes, there's time, there's cost, right? There, there are all of those things. Um, but outside of that, I very much felt like um, there wasn't a lot of risk because it was good to connect with others. It was good to learn some skills that were going to be applicable, even if I didn't continue a coach program. Um, and so I think there is value in exploring that and, and kind of um, 
seeing what it's all about, right? So even if folks are, are not sure that they want to commit to the whole program, and maybe you don't want people to feel like they <laughs> don't need to commit to the whole program, but I think there's, you know, I think there is a lot of value, not a lot of risk in just like trying it and seeing what's there. Um, because I, I think, you know, the, what I have gained already has made a huge impact and will continue to influence my work. So, um, and I do want to continue on and I do plan to get my certification, but I think, as you know, there was times when I was questioning some of that. And so knowing that I, I would never have felt like I was, I had wasted time, right. It has all felt very useful and a very good experience to dig in and just kind of learn. Um, and so I think that is a good thing to share with others up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really glad you did share that, Julie, because the way I designed the program, this is why there's a one-on-one course that's like, this is your introduction. And if you're like, I'm not really resonating with this and this is not good for me, then you stop. I mean, you don't have to buy into like a whole year long thing. And when I went through training, I had to purchase a six month package. I mean, and it was like, that's a long time for if you get into something and you're like, wait, this isn't exactly what I thought it was. Or so I'm trying to give like a ton of information on the website to help you decide, but also buy the first course and that's it. I mean, like, if you're not sure, you don't need to invest in a package. You don't need to make that decision. I think there's other people who are like, I've been wanting to do this for years and I'm ready and this is the time and I want the package and great. But I certainly don't expect that everyone's going to come in with that perspective. And I think a healthy level of questioning, you know, like you're bringing to this episode, it's really important to try to think about like, is this the right fit for your skill set and your goals and what you're trying to do? Yeah. And I, and it is clear to me, so I've taken two classes and they have built off one another very much so, right? Like that is clear and they would both stand alone, right? And so I think just to emphasize that, that you could take 101 and feel like, nope, not for me, but I still really got something. It's not mm -hmm. as if you leave it with a cliffhanger, you know, wondering what's going to happen to someone. Maybe I should build that in. That's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> <laughs> like pose a powerful question and then just like end 101 and like wait. To get the <laughs> yeah, that was, it was intentionally designed that way because I've had a lot of people also ask, can I stop in? Can I stop out? You know, what if I need to take a break? And it's why it's designed the way it's designed. It's a curriculum. So you take one class at a time. Some people are doing it back to back. Some people are taking breaks and that's fine. I mean, like that's, we're all kind of dealing with a lot. I mean, coming out of 2020, it was a, it was a year and we all had our priorities that we had to think about. Um, and I think 2021, same, I mean, we're going to have a lot that we're dealing with. So that flexibility to me was something I didn't have that there were a lot of things I loved about my training program, but that was one that was challenging for me is there, the timing flexibility was a little bit rough. And so when I built this one, I, I really wanted to change that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Julie, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share a little bit about your story. It's been so great to get to know you through this program. I'm excited to keep working with you in the new year and yeah. uh, excited to see where coaching goes for you. Yeah. Thanks, Katie. It's been good. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coach to Coach. For any resources mentioned in the episode, check out the episode show notes at drkatielinder.com slash coach. If you found this episode to be helpful, please take a moment to rate or review the show in Apple Podcasts or recommend this episode to a friend or colleague. Thanks for listening.